0: Ian Pringle, this is the loyalty podcast from New World Loyalty, where we help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this podcast, we'll explore the phenomenon of business to business loyalty programs, where companies reward clients for purchasing products rather than directly rewarding the end consumer. To help me with this, I'm joined by two experts who have direct experience building successful business to business loyalty strategies. So please welcome Mark McClure from Stream. Hi, Mark.
1: Hi, Ian. Hi, everyone.
0: And Adam Posner, from our very own Adam Posner. How are you, Adam?
1: Uh, hi, guys. Hi, Mark. Nice to meet you or we'll greet you. And uh, hello, everyone. Brilliant. So so to get things started tonight, could we each give a brief introduction
0: to ourselves and just a little bit about your experience in B2B marketing and examples to illustrate what we mean by B2B marketing? Um, who would like to... Uh, Mark, would you like to kick us off with this one?
2: Yeah, sure. I'll kick off. So uh, I'm Mark McClure. I'm co-founder of Stream Loyalty. And we are a tech-enabled consultancy specialising in loyalty, obviously. Uh, But we tend to specialise mainly in the B2B sector, and that's sort of come about by default of customers, I guess. And our experience of that is that the B2B world is just a little bit more complex than the B2C world. So it's more qualitative than quantitative. And so we've just ended up in that space. No, interesting. And how about you,
0: Adam?
1: Yeah, I'm a CEO and founder of the Point of Loyalty here in Australia, and uh, we specialize in loyalty strategies uh, and also author of the For Love or Money Consumer Research Study on Loyalty. And yeah, B2B is fascinating from my point of view in that, you know, that we're all consumers at the end of the day, but the buying behavior or the purchase decisions are very uh, different than a consumer loyalty program. Hence, you know, um, how you've got to consider who's buying uh, what and and who's going to be rewarded. But we can talk about that a little bit further as we go into the discussion. But um, I love B2B, smaller databases, obviously, but certainly some of the nuances of typical loyalty programs still work and some don't. So love to share some insights.
0: Yeah, and uh, and, and I mean, Pringle, I think everyone knows me from the podcast, and uh, I've I've been involved in lots of loyalty programs over the years. One of which was the inception of the EDF, the inception of, the of a Nectar for business. I was at EDF Energy looking after the Nectar partnership with there, and that program grew over about a year of a project to grow the Nectar a business consortium, which is a consortium of um, small businesses of which EDF Energy was one of them. Um, and that was fascinating. And you learn lots of things in everything in life, don't you? And um, in that, I learned that paint isn't paint. Did you know that?
1: Now you go. Paint isn't paint. Are you talking about uh, painting companies selling no. to painters?
0: ICI didn't like to refer to paint as paint. They liked to refer as paint as a coating. Ah, yeah, there you go. So there you go. B two (laughs) B loyalty, eh? You don't, you love it.
1: (laughs) And it's fascinating because um, I worked on a B two B program for a painting company. They didn't call it coating, but uh, a very a worldwide uh, brand and you know, how they built um, accredited painters and how they tried to nurture their painters through training and education. And they actually called it a loyalty program, but there was a lot of, uh, you know, different elements in terms of what they're rewarding them to understand their product. So there's a lot of educational loyalty benefits. Um, obviously, there were financial benefits in the program, but it was B2B. And so you had the, the one operated painter who would paint your house versus the big sort of corporate painting group that would go a massive commercial. So they had to work out how to structured their program for their credited painters based on a, one, a one-man show uh, versus, uh, you know, a group of 100 painters belonging to a corporate. So that was a really interesting insight.
2: So, Adam, I agree. With, I couldn't agree more. Well, two things that you said. First of all, I think what we forget is that in B2B, ultimately, at the end of the day, we're all consumers. So... Mm-hmm we leave our B2B jobs, or your B2B customers leave their jobs and they are ultimately consumers at the end of the day. So a lot of techniques from B2C are transferable into into B2B. But there's also a large chunk of, uh, of when we have a, we have similar clients who, we, we describe them as B to small b. So you are dealing sometimes with sole traders, one man bands, running a program, where at one level you're talking to an individual, but in another level, You're talking to a business and that then brings in all the complexities that make B2B so much more complex than B2C. So, okay, you have tiers in B2C, but in B2B, you've literally got different audiences, different levels of seniority, different buying decisions, different redemption restrictions, you know, regulatory environments that don't allow certain things. Who are you talking to? Is it the the owner or the orderer? And it has so much more complexity that goes within B2B.
0: That's certainly what I found. Um, I mean, the three of us on this call, our energy needs are probably not that different from each other. You know, so especially when I was working for an energy company at the time, is you know, the three of us we, we probably use similar amounts of gas electricity really. Whereas if you take small to medium sized businesses, their needs and and are vastly different from each other, from sector to sector, and even for for sizes of organizations within that sector. Is that what you mean, Mark? I mean, it's they're, they're really peculiar.
2: Yes, but it can it, it can yeah within a within a marketplace you can literally, as Adam was saying, be talking to to take your you know we deal we deal in the in the in the building products trade and the plumbing and heating world and sometimes you're literally dealing with a bathroom installer or a plumber and at the other extreme you're dealing with somebody who's got multiple chains of businesses who's got very different drivers so even just in that one same program, you've got a very different audience.
1: Yeah, and you've even got some nuances where um, you've got the employee who's part of the the, the program earning benefits for their owner. <laughs> and we've often had, well, you know, so they would go and buy a, a uh, something and then they would earn points from their purchases. But ultimately, it goes up into a pool of points. And the owner of the business then decides, well, how, how do I use those points? Do I go and buy my TV for myself and my wife? Or do I buy office goods? You know, do I use transfer those points into uh, stationery and office goods, you know, that we can all benefit from as a business? So <laughs> you've even got those uh, nuances internally inside a business as to the person who's earning them and to the person who's redeeming them
0: yeah and, yeah. That, and that's well, often to do with the regulatory environment too you know because yeah. in the uk it's to do with who actually owns the business you can you can yeah. if, if if you're a sole trader and own the business you can take the benefits whereas if you're not it's a benefit in kind of being an employee and there's all these complexity is that not right mark is that is that how it works
2: yes and uh, we are often talking to people who have to consider the tax implications of doing yeah. something for both uh, both the uh, a customer but also internal staff so Interesting, and we'll come on to talk about this later, but uh, we we find that we run programs where you're actually talking B2B both to an external audience, but also you're trying to engender a culture of loyalty in an organization. And sometimes that involves um, incentivizing and motivating and creating internal loyalty to get the program really embedded. And actually, arguably, the most successful companies in the B2B loyalty space are ones where they have a culture of loyalty that stems right from the top all the way through the business. And they actually have internal loyalty programs where they're motivating their staff to get loyalty embedded so that it becomes a, a effectively a part of the culture. And once you've got it as part of the culture, boy, does that emanate out to your customers.
0: And do you mean mm. mean rewards as part of your culture or do you, do you mean customer service and customer empathy? and?
2: Uh, both, actually. So you can actually motivate it is possible to motivate loyalty and run internal incentives for example for if it's important to the business to get people signed up to a loyalty program and 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 earning and redeeming and engaged with the business then it therefore by the same token is important to the business that it incentivizes the staff to go and help do that so it, it, you don't just assume that all your staff will do something as part of their job, mm. and that's why we see bonus structures and incentives and sales incentives put in place. So it's just a part of that. So you can actually start to reward internal loyalty and engagement with their loyalty program, and incentivizing the way that you you get it embedded in in both your uh, staff and then outward into your customers. Does that make sense?
0: That makes perfect sense. In fact, we when yeah. we were discussing the, the the staff in you know B two C. Um, programs often best practices to reward your cust your your colleagues with that same currency so you so you can engender the behavior, engender the understanding of the program and and a, and a love of the currency and all that you know
2: yeah and it, uh, I mean one of the things that we do see going wrong quite often is that loyalty really should be something that's central to the organization but in b2B you do often see emanating out of marketing so marketing are used to running campaigns. And I'll talk about how we sort of in, embed that in, as part of our software. But what you will tend to find is that if you haven't got an engaged workforce across the business, I mean, and any marketing director who's listening to this will, will certainly get on board with this, where your sales force undermine all your efforts in marketing because they're not on board with, you're not on the same page. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't got your sales force embedded in your loyalty program, they can undermine it very very quickly
0: no interesting interesting um, so so we talked about the key differences between B2b and b2 C what do we think the key challenges are I mean we've touched on some of them there so we talked about scale Adam you know because we're talking about hundreds or thousands of customers not millions of customers here
1: yeah and I think that's number one you know so you know in Australia I'm currently working on an electrical contractor uh, loyalty program and um, you know we're not talking we're talking 15,000 uh, customers. So, you know, this you know segmentation has got to be very very carefully thought through because there are some very big, you know uh, big corporate purchases and versus the back to the the, the smaller shops. So you've got to really look at your value segmentation. And also the purchase behavior is another nuance here. And, it, you know, in some consumer loyalty programs where the frequency is high, in some B2B programs the frequency isn't high, but the purchase item or the purchase value is very high. So you've really got to think through the structure of your program based on the purchase behaviors. A little bit more nuanced, I think, in B2B than in consumer. Um, and a lesson learned for me in this, in this current client is really to get them to understand the buying behaviour and the segmentation before we get into what we're going to reward them with and, and what behaviour changes we want. Um, so that's to me a, a big, a big uh, lesson for B2B's understanding the segments um, and the value and the, and the valuation.
0: And then the other one we talked about, of course, was diverse needs. So we covered that off. But I think there's then the, the mark. When you talk about Mark, is reaching the decision maker because. Who actually makes the buying decision and who actually consumes the, the product in, B2C, in B2B isn't always that obvious, is it? About who who are you influencing?
2: No, no I mean, to, to give you an extreme, you can sometimes have a situation where I am your supplier and I've been mandated, you've been mandated to use me. So actually, I don't really like you. <laughs> I mean, It's extreme, but I actually don't really like working with you. So you try you try and put a loyalty program in place i'm I'm a begrudging customer because p- procurement have put you into a situation with me where I have to use you I mean that's an extreme but it's quite a thought that you you've got a loyalty program and all the rules that exist in the consumer world on that perspective completely change because a the customer might not like you he might be mandated to use you B he might not have chosen you uh, C. You might have a relationship going with uh, with at the other end of the extreme, where you've got you've got somebody who's worked out that the person doing the ordering, I can target and I can actually maybe influence them to buy more from me. But that's not actually the company's goals, and the the, the owner of the business or the manager might actually not want to be putting so much business in my direction. So you've got you've got to really understand the drivers of your customers and and your stakeholders all the way through, and. Then you've got this extraordinary situation where you might have a really good customer. And guess what happens in B2B? People don't stay, <laughs> they move jobs. So suddenly your loyal customer has left and you've got to pick up the relationship with the, with a new person in the business. Hmm. So it's a very bizar- it's, it, has, it has a lot of bizarre nuances B2B that just don't exist in the consumer space where you are dealing with an individual and having a relationship that's personalized. And in the same token, you still need to personalise that relationship in B2B. You can't have one size fits all. So where you said, Adam, it's, it's all about scale. Actually, I would say that B2B is, is not so much about scale. You know, the big mm-hmm. consumer programmes have millions of members and you can have a bit of a one size fits all. Yeah, then you get into the airline tiering where I might reward my slightly higher value customers. But the offering is quite, quite generic. And steps up a bit as you go up the tiers. Whereas in B2B, you have to start with knowing that you've actually, you can't have one size fits all because mm-hmm. every business has different customers who are already segmented from day one, they've been with the business a long time. So you've got your classic Pareto of high value customers and then your long tail. And so mm-hmm. you've got different drivers, which is how do I keep my VIPs? I can't necessarily make them do anymore, but they're really important to me. And then how can I grow? The middle of my tail or as much as my tail as possible how can i grow those and then how can i use both of those audiences to refer me more sorry i've answered lots of questions there
0: no no and how do you both go around doing that so do you have a do you have a sort of onboarding process where you where, a methodology which, which you work through to, to understand them and then design a program to for their very very specific
1: needs yeah well i i think that strategically uh the process is the same as when i do a b2c i mean you still got the, what I call the seven zones of a, of a program, fundamentally understanding the business's objectives. So I go through quickly the seven zones, what, are, you know, obviously not quickly with a client, but really understanding what they're trying to achieve uh, from their objectives, retention, advocacy, growth, whatever the fundamentals are in, in that could B2C. Then we get into really, to your point, Mark, understanding their audience. And I don't talk, uh, didn't necessarily mean scale, but I understand that, you know, the segmentation and the buying behavior you want to change. And then the program structure, Really, then it's built accordingly, you know, um, and it doesn't have to be a points program. We all know that it. points isn't the answers to everything. Um, but but building in those mechanics, and I'm finding actually it's more interesting these days that B2B is a lot more about uh, services and education and training and, and events and community and a little bit less about transactional. Um, it's still there, absolutely no question, but we're trying to find more value-add by definition in the structure of the program. Um, and then it gets to your, your area, Mark, which is the technology, the data, the enablement, which... You know, I know it's a difference. You've got to understand the marketing team and who's looking after and the data piece and and all of that. But the fundamentals, the actual strategic fundamentals are the same. But I think it's when you lift the bonnet, as you said, and get into the detail, it actually gets a little bit more trickier. So, um, yeah, you know, I approach it in the same way. But um, when you actually get into into it, it is a little bit more tricky. I,
2: I totally agree with most of what you just said there, Adam. The key is to understand the segmentation. And to understand that I love your point about um, it's not just about points. It's it's not just about transactions is, is is what we say, because there's so many different things that you can anything that can be measured. So we've built our software in a way that anything we can put anyway, anything you can give us a measurement on, which could be as simple as, you know, have you opened this email? Have you read watch this video? Have you undertaken this training program? Have you have you you know what what is it that you've done that we can measure? And then we can reward it. So you can actually start to reward changed behaviours rather than just transactions. And so it's very much about understanding what is it, what is the segmentation, what are you trying to achieve? Very often in in B2B, you know, you're dealing with an existing way of doing things, which might be marketing-led, running campaigns, and suddenly you're going to start to build a loyalty programme that has hopefully more longevity than campaigns. And we are very often coming in and finding a situation where a business has been doing has been doing campaign after campaign after campaign, which they like, and because it's nice and safe and has time defined parameters. So if it doesn't work, it's fine. We can try something else next time. But if you then go into a loyalty program, that's by definition, probably a longer term uh, program, you, you need to be able to have some of the flexibility that the campaign metrics used used to have. So we built software where you can run short-term campaigns, so you can run multiple different things. You might have a, long ter- a long-term long points program that could be based on transactions, but you then have campaigns that can run perhaps to very specific audiences. So we talk a lot about data in, in various podcasts, but obviously if you've got to have good data to start with. But if you've got the data and you can then use that to run targeted campaigns, that can be very useful.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with that, actually, because some of things, some of, one of the things that I've seen with, with B2B loyalty programs that I've dealt with is that actually doing the loyalty proposition has been a catalyst to get better data and to digitize the company. So I wouldn't say you necessarily need need good data to start a loyalty proposition, but you can certainly have that aim as the end, end point because there's companies that I've worked with where they haven't had great great um, understanding of their clients or a, or a good database of all these other things, but actually having the loyalty proposition and putting that has actually improved those processes and improved loyalty. Does that make sense? Uh,
2: yes, it does make sense.
1: I think you're spot on. In fact, I've got a real life case uh, to talk about in, in, with the client that I have. The, when they approached me, they said one of the problems they need to solve is they don't have enough data. That was So I said, why? Do, when we sat in the strategy session, why do you want to program? Besides the behavior, they said, well, we don't have the data on our clients. And that was one of the, the, the key goals and you're spot on, Ian. So, um, you know, every, every business is, is different, depends on size and, 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 and structure and all those sort of things. Um, but another little insight here just is that I also wanted to try and understand from them is this issue of what problem can they solve? What problem can they solve for their customers in their program? So I, I talk about this a lot in, in, in B2C programs and it's all, it's not all about points, perks, and birthdays. But in B2B, it's also not all about points and, and, and TVs and things. It's about can the program solve the problem for their customers? Um, can it, you know, help with training? Can it bring apprentices in? Can it there's there's so much more depth in building a loyalty structure and a program, um, when you think about the problem you can solve rather than the points or the perks to give.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. So can you move on to where you've seen it work best? So can you just give an example of where you think, you know, that and I'm taking to the point that they're all different, but where have you seen someone who's, who's really implemented a strategy where you think that's actually adding value to the bottom line?
2: Yeah, I'd say places where it works best is where you do have a high frequency of transactions, or a high frequency of interactions it works very well where there's highly competitive marketplaces it works extremely well as i've said already where you've got a good culture of loyalty that stretches or a good culture of customer service to start with uh, and a good culture of looking after customers so that you can actually get that engagement across the company so that's where i've seen it work best
0: Yeah, yeah and how about you adam
1: you know, interesting, um, you know, Qantas. Uh, we all know Qantas. You know, they've got a QBR, Qantas Business Rewards. Now, um, you know, they've then now built a whole loyalty program in rewarding businesses for buying from businesses. So they're building, uh, you know, a massive economy through the huge purchases that businesses make to build up the internal points uh, ecosystem for their flights or whatever they want to use their points for. Um, and their their partner ecosystem is growing tremendously. So, I mean, there's just an example of a consumer loyalty program, and I know it's frequent flyer, but they've got Qantas business rewards, which is using the same um, uh, mechanic called the point, the Qantas point, but uh, with businesses. And that is, uh, from what I can see, because I've got some clients who actually are partners of Qantas, and they're using that as part of their loyalty offering. So they're using a partner offering and building their own. Um, And, and, you know, it's a very, it's a very um, demanded currency, the Qantas business point. So, uh, I mean the, the Qantas points, so you know they they've integrated that uh, I think very well.
0: It's an interesting one because when I was at when I was at Avios, the we had some a number of business to business partners, but who were who were giving points out in exactly the same way you did. You were saying there, but they they just weren't of the scale large enough to to make Avios that interested. So I mean I think there was a bit of a mismatch there, but I, I surely could think it worked. And there was a number of haulage companies and others who were using it but they just they just didn't get the service and didn't get the, the attention that they probably deserved. My example's a funny one, actually, because it's an example of where things have worked and not worked at the same time. So with with Next of a Business, certainly with EDF Energy, they went into it thinking that it was going to be an acquisition play. So they thought we're going to acquire new business customers by selling them using the currency as, a, as an incentive. And the straight B2B thing didn't work, because I think it comes from what we just talked about, is the business was very, very different. So if you're a if you're a tanning salon or a baker's, you use a lot of energy, whereas if you're a builder or a, or a, or a plumber, or a, you're hardly using any energy because you're not even in your house half the time, you're in someone else's house. So it just wasn't, that. there was a mismatch there. But what did perform incredibly well was the, the B2C program. I mean, some people would call it fraud, but the B2C program were giving out points when you signed up a new household. So if you moved house, you could sign up. And what we were finding was that people who were working for for big developers was taking all of them and registering them with one company. And, of course, they were they were registering them with the company who um, gave Nectar Points. And so for a tiny number, I think it was about £10 worth of Nectar Points, you could sign up a a, 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 a site. And and we signed up thousands and thousands. EDF Energy signed up thousands and thousands of sites at a lot less cost than doing it the B2B way. <laughs> so, I mean... Um, there's fraud you shut down, and fraud you keep going, and that was that was um, that was fraud. We we turned a blind eye. Well, you or could. I'm
2: sure you could do a whole loyalty. new po- whole podcast on its own on loyalty fraud. On gaming,
0: <laughs> gaming, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen some strange graphs in my time. and the, the one end of the graph is always just some stuff, funny stuff going on.
2: Well, gamification. Um, talking about gaming, I mean gamification actually works quite well in programs as well. We're seeing quite a lot of success with that, um, particularly in, in business to, to business. Yeah, yeah. Just all oh, right. Just yeah just in, in uh, again in some of those those sort of beta small b where they behave more like consumers particularly if uh, if the rewards take a long time to earn so if you haven't got a very high value customer to so give them an opportunity to actually you know effectively spend to win something bigger so instead of earning something that's of minimal value uh, they get the opportunity and that that just that just encourages them to to join in. but I also just wanted to go back to one of your points, Ian about when you said I disagree that, that you know some companies you're taking them on a digital journey it 's been very interesting in the in the trade sector, which is and there are plenty of plenty of these sectors where it 's a very old fashioned face to face turn up at a counter i I interact with you face to face. Okay, a little bit of that has changed in the last 18 months, admittedly. But those companies, you literally can use loyalty to take them on a digital transformation journey because they've struggled to get e-commerce to work because people are used to their old habits of turning up. And yet, if you can encourage them to go, if you if you set up a loyalty scheme and say, well, in order to participate, I need you to go online suddenly they go oh that's fine i do that in my in other things in life i can't book an airline ticket without going online so you can take them using some consumer techniques to get them online and then that can actually bizarrely help the business on a, on the start of a digital transformation journey and we have evidence we we've, we've done that a couple of times it's it's been quite it's been quite interesting that you lose you sort of reverse the loyalty program into digitally
0: transforming the business yeah because because you know loyalty the best parts of loyalty marketing are understanding customers getting data in, understanding what this you know, that's the engine room for most good practice within a company mm. often mm. comes from, from that. You get those fundamentals, right? You, you, you're cooking on gas, you know? Mm. Um, so what would he, what would our three, if you had three pieces of advice to give someone setting out, so these are companies setting out. they have not been to business to business, but they've not had a loyalty program before. What, what, what would your three pieces of advice be? Who wants to start?
1: I'll go, I'll go. I've got three and I've, I've sort of pontificated about one of them in the earlier part of this podcast, which is, I start off with what problem can you solve? So, you know, both internally in your business, what problem do you want to solve with your program? And we've spoken about data and digital transformation, but what problem do you want to solve in your customers' businesses with your program? So that's a strategic piece of advice. Start with a problem and see if you can solve that uh, as the beginning point. I think too what Mark's talking about as well is this really number two is understanding the buying behavior and the segmentation. Cannot emphasize that enough as a piece of advice and and really looking at you know the big massive buying uh, business versus you know the one man show and trying to uh, overcome the that challenge. And number three, um, I think Mark uh, highlighted that a lot, which is your the policies and procedures. Uh, Is a piece of advice is be really clear on policies and procedures with regards to where the rewards go and who gets them and what happens Because that uh, if you forget that um, You could get into a bit of a mess. So those are my three pieces of advice.
2: Well, I agree with all those Adam But I'm gonna add three more (laughs) Um, Mine would be similar to yours in that, you know, understand understand your customers and the segmentation and whilst you know, realize that you've got a very complex audience. So one size can't fit all. So you therefore need to tailor your program to fit the people. So if you set off with something that's a, a vanilla one one style program, it won't work. However, having said that, the flip side of that is start simple. So the 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 problem we see a lot of the time is that people overcomplicate it at the beginning. And the closer you get to something, the more you fine tune it, fine tune it, fine tune it, you launch it and people go, oh, it's too complex. I can't engage. So so personalise it, but start simple. Run a pilot if you're not sure. Test and learn. That's one. Second, I've touched on this a lot, which is the culture. You've got to get it embedded in your business to make loyalty work. It's got to be a fundamental part of your business's culture so that when I have a, a touch point with the sales department and the customer services team, I am getting a consistent message of loyalty is important and you are are an important customer. And that really does emanate from the top down. So it's a strategic decision, not a marketing initiative. It's gotta be a strategic decision to do loyalty. And then the third thing, which I haven't really touched on, which is just some data from our, our our, our programs is that once you've got something embedded, encourage engagement in it. So, encourage frequent redemptions is probably one of the things that has been most successful in the programs we 've run, and you know data shows on average with our with our programs that customers who redeem i e are engaged will spend nearly three times more on average now that may make sense to a certain degree that you 've got an engaged your engaged customers are going to be your more loyal ones, but the fact that you 've got them engaged and regularly redeeming and they can see the value of the program and that could be Redeeming for goods, redeeming for training, whatever whatever is in your mix. Just to summarise those, personalize the personalise the experience, but don't overcomplicate it at the beginning. Make sure that loyalty is within your culture and then encourage engagement and frequent interaction.
0: Well perfect. Well thanks so much for those marks. So thank you very much to Mark McClure from Stream.
2: Thanks guys. And um, thanks thanks Ian and thanks Adam and thanks listeners.
0: And thanks Adam. And uh, and Cheers. if you like this podcast, please like, share, or comment using the hashtag loyaltypodcast. And thank you for listening and uh, goodbye.